clap to the Lord again today. Good to see you. Go ahead and grab your seat. For those of you still confused, this is the second service. If you're wondering, it is a time change Sunday. And uh, I'm so glad that you're here. We are starting a brand new series today called Lasting Impressions. Welcome on spring break weekend. Hope you have some fun things planned maybe this week. Those of you who have kids in school. In a few weeks, we are going to be celebrating Easter Sunday. It's going to be here before you know it. We're going to be celebrating one of the the biggest weekends, one of the most exciting weekends that uh, we have here, around here at Eagles View Church. It's going to be on April 8th. Believe it or not, we'll likely be doing four services that day, and uh, we're going to need them. I know it's hard to tell today because of the time change and spring break and and, uh, rainy Sunday. Man, you guys are committed. Glad you came today. And a lot of things working against you today. But, uh, but we're, we're going to be experiencing some great stuff on that day. It's usually one of the biggest days or biggest Sunday of the year. And I'm excited about, about what God is already doing and what he's going to be doing and, and the people that we're going to see that are going to come to know the Lord. And have you noticed that one of the things that we, we always do is at Christmas time, we spend a little over a month just kind of getting ready for Christmas. We will put lights up on our houses, we go shopping, we decorate inside our homes, we buy gifts, we go to parties. You know, a a lot of focus is put into that time of year. And it's a great time of year. I love that time of year. But have you noticed that a lot of times this time of year at Easter, it really sometimes just kind of comes and goes before we even know it. It's already gone. And in and, and some cases, maybe there was never even really any preparation. Before you know it, it's like, you know, you, the Easter holiday is gone. It's, it's already passed, and, and, and it, it goes by pretty quickly. So what we really felt led to do over these coming weeks is, is just to dedicate our time in our, in our services through this series to dedicate our time to really preparing you and preparing our hearts for all that happened leading up to the crucifixion and all that happened at the resurrection of Jesus. Guys, that's the pinnacle of our faith. That's why Jesus came. And we, we celebrate that not just one time a year, but we celebrate it every single day. We celebrate it every Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus. But we really just want to get you ready. We really want to get you to a place where you really experience all that God has for you at this time of year and, and think about the context of, of what he has done, what he did, and, and the impression that he has made upon us. And er, You see, everything that Jesus did, everything, every word that he spoke, every, um, every action that he took was all very deliberate, and it was all very purposeful. Everything he did, there was, there was a reason behind it, and, and he was seeking to make a lasting impression upon every person that he ever came in contact with. And, 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 uh, and the passage that we're going to study today is within the last hours of Jesus' life. And if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and start turning with me to the Gospel of John. We're going to be looking in chapter 13. That's where we're going to be today. But it's, it's, it's a passage that, that we have looked at before, and, and it's one that, frankly, when, it, when we, you talk about lasting impressions, I just can't ignore this passage. We need to come back to this passage, and we need to look at this, and, 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 and it's, a, it's a, a passage, and the context is that it took place in a borrowed 
upper room of, of someone's house. They got together and were going to be celebrating. When I say they, I'm talking about Jesus and his disciples. And we're going to be celebrating uh, the Passover meal together. They were going to be spending some time in this meal together. Next week, we're going to be looking at the time and the impression that Christ made on those who saw him in the Garden of Gethsemane. We're going to be getting you ready and, and, and getting you in this place of really thinking about, about all that, that happens at, at, at this time and in these last hours of Jesus' life. You see, we're all making impressions upon people every single day. Whether you like to believe this or not, you're making some kind of impression upon, upon somebody. How many parents do we have here today? A lot of parents? Okay, a lot of parents. You're making some lasting impressions, are you not? I mean, they're either good impressions. In some cases, they may be bad, lasting impressions that you're making. But you are imprinting something, some example, in somebody's life. If you're a leader, you're imprinting that in someone's life by the way that you lead, by the actions that you take, by the things that you say. Again, they're either good impressions or they could be bad impressions. Now, now my wife, if you were to talk to Hope, um, it, it really, what you would find out is that it's really a miracle that Hope and I ever even got together, okay? And, uh, and, and, and the reason is because, honestly, we didn't like each other very much our first year of college. I, I, I didn't like her, and uh, now I thought she was really pretty, and, uh, but I didn't like her, okay? And, and she certainly didn't like me, okay, is what we find out. Whenever I first met Hope, I thought, this girl is a little snoot, okay? She won't talk to me. She won't look at me. What is her problem? She thinks she's better than me, you know? And that was kind of the impression that she gave me. Now, what I later came to understand about my wife, and if any of you think she's snooty, listen to me today. She's painfully shy, okay? And, and she really struggles in in meeting new folks that's once you get to know her she'll talk to you she loves people she's she has a heart of gold she's a servant okay but she's just kind of quiet she's a more timid kind of person she's just a quieter uh, kind of person and that's the impression um that uh that she gave at first was that is that she was kind of snooty okay and so i didn't really like her and and um now if you ask her the first and lasting impression that I gave her, these are her words. I was an obnoxious punk. That's what she said. Which, after she told me that, explained to me why she wouldn't talk to me or, uh, or give me the time of day. And uh, what she didn't know was that I'm a lovable obnoxious punk, okay? That's what she didn't know, but came to find out, and what she would tell you even today. See, the truth is, again, you're making an impression upon somebody. You're, you're making some kind of impression that is lasting. And, and again, if you're a parent, you're a grandparent, if uh, you're making an impressions upon those that you work with, Upon, uh, upon people you go to school with, you're making impressions. And as a Christian, as a Christ follower, you are either making a, a godly kind of impression upon their life, or honestly, you may be making a worldly kind of impression. 
You see, the question that, that I want to ask you this morning as we kind of begin this time in this study and lasting impressions, I want to ask you, and I really want you to contemplate this today, is what kind of lasting impression are you making upon people who are around you? What would people say about you? What kind of impression are you making upon them? What, what will your kids say about you later on in life? What will uh, people that you're neighbors with, what would they say about you? What are, what are the impressions that you're making? And, and, and obviously, we always know that first impressions doesn't exactly mean that that's the way it is, but they do stick with us, right? I mean, they do, they, they can stick with us. And Jesus, no doubt, when you look at Jesus and you look at, at his life, you discover that everywhere Jesus went, every encounter that he had with another person, every, every encounter that he had, he was making an impression upon somebody. He was changing somebody's life by the impressions that he made. And the story that we're going to look at today in John 13, it really, as, as I've just have read through this over and over again, it, there's all kinds of emotions that I feel whenever I read this story. I feel some anger, and you'll see that whenever we read this. I, I feel sadness. But more than anything, what I've, I discover at this is, in this passage and what I think you will today is this is a passage that absolutely humbles me. It, it, it brings just an enormous amount of, of humility to me when I read this and see how Jesus was. And I see what he did and how he lived. And it, it puts an impression upon me that, that if Jesus is this way, this is how I'm to live. It's, it's humbling because let me give you some, some context about this. It takes place when you start understanding all of the ins and outs of this story and the context of it. It's humbling because it takes place on the night before the brutal crucifixion that he would experience the very next day. It takes place on that night. It, it takes place as he's facing this, this imminent death that he's going to be experiencing. And if you think about the total context earlier in the week and all the emotions that go along with this, earlier in the week, Jesus had rode into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey. And he's coming in and, and again, read the gospel accounts. And, and people are, are looking at him as the Messiah. He's been doing all of these miracles, and, and they're thinking, now they're thinking of what Messiah looks like is different from what he was going to show them. They were thinking militant Messiah. They were thinking of some kind of Messiah that was going to help them overthrow Rome and, and restore their kingdom in their sense. And, and so he's riding in, as, as Scripture would foretell, and he's riding in on the cult of this donkey, and people are shouting out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're waving palm branches, and they're laying palm branches before him because a lot of people are thinking, this is the Messiah. By the way, this wasn't the only person that they did that for. If, if you know any kind of history, they had, they had done this for a guy named Judas Maccabees. They had done this before. They, they were looking for a Messiah, and they, they believe they're still looking for a Messiah today. They just don't realize that he's already come. This is who he is. Jesus fully knew that those same people that were praising his name would be the same ones calling for his crucifixion later within the week. Those are the same ones that would be 
you know, uh, that, it, that had become, would become disillusioned with him and would turn on him in a heartbeat. And one of his very own, Judas Iscariot, Judas Iscariot had become disillusioned with Jesus and his ministry. He had, in, in fact, had even been stealing from, from Jesus. Man, that's pretty, that's pretty wrong, right? I mean, when you're stealing from, from Jesus, you're taking from the, the purse of, of, of all of those disciples. He was the uh, treasurer, and he had been stealing from Jesus. But he had become disillusioned with Jesus because Jesus wasn't turning out to be the kind of Messiah that he thought he should be. And, and Jesus had all of this knowledge, and G- Judas had set up a meeting with the Pharisees who hated Jesus and her, who were jealous of Jesus, and they were so prideful and hateful toward Jesus because Jesus called out their hypocrisy. We pick up our study in, in John chapter 13, and what you're going to get is a real window into the heart of what our God looks like. As I was reading this passage, I was thinking of all the emotions that Jesus must have been feeling. I was thinking of the agony of the anticipation of what was coming. Have you ever felt that? You know, you know that something is imminent. Something's coming. It's not going to be pleasant. It's go- and you feel that agony. I was thinking, what, what could that have felt like? And nothing can compare to that, but I was thinking about an incident that happened in my life uh, back in December. A lot of you don't know this because we didn't say anything about this. This was something I just kind of kept discreet at the time. But um, I, I was having, uh, back in December, early December, I was having some like chest pains and just some weird feeling type stuff going on in my chest. And, and I'd never really had that before. So it kind of freaked me out a little bit. And I went to my doctor and my doctor said, you know what, let's go ahead and let's get you over to a cardiologist. And they, they're just going to do some more things that I can't do for you here today. We want to just be sure. It could just it could be a number of things, but let's just check this out. And I'm like, let's do, okay? Let's go ahead and do that. So I went to the cardiologist, and the cardiologist said, well, we're going to run a bunch of tests on you, and, and, and if there's nothing wrong, then at least you'll know. At least you'll have a good baseline of knowing where you're at. He patted me on the belly and, you know, and, and did one of those kinds of things and said, we know what we need to do, right? And I uh, said, yes, sir. And, uh, and, and so anyhow, he says, first thing we're going to do is we're going to do a nuclear stress test. Has anybody ever done one of those? Okay. I didn't know what that was. I knew I'd done a stress test before, but I'm going nuclear. Is is there going to be an explosion that's going to happen in here when I'm running on this thing or whatever? But but I took the, the, the nuclear stress test. When I got done, and I'm not exactly sure how to feel about this, but I was feeling pretty good. He actually said this. The guy said, man, you are the fittest fat guy I've ever seen on one of these treadmills. And I was like, I'm not sure how to take that. But, but he was like, really? And, and listen, guys, I work out all the time. I'm running all the time. And, and, and I just eat a cheeseburger when I'm done, okay? And, and, but he was like, I can't believe I've never seen a guy that's like you that can do what you're doing on this thing. And I was like, I'm bad. That's right. You know, I was kind of walking out of there feeling pretty good. And, uh, and so they did a few more tests. And uh, they said, hey, we'll get back with you in about a week. You'll probably get something in the mail with your results unless there's something wrong. And then we'll call you back in. And uh, so a week goes by, and I'm thinking, I'm a fit, fat guy. You know, this is awesome. And I uh, just need to drop a few pounds, and I'm fit. And, uh, and so anyhow, um, I get a call. And, and, and he, he, the nurse calls me, the cardiologist nurse calls me, and she says, um, 
we need to get you to come in. There's, 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 um, uh, the doctor wants to meet with you. And I said, is something wrong? You know I'm a fifth fat guy. <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 and she said, um, typically he doesn't want to meet with you unless something is wrong. And I went... Uh, and that's not good for a guy with a bad heart, okay? And, and I, I was like, what? And I said, what's wrong? And she said, sir, I can't, I, we don't tell you over the phone, you know? And I said, come on, you can tell me. What's, what's a, she said, just some abnormal test results came back. I said, I'm abnormal? And she, was, she said, you're going to have to come in and talk to the doctor. But you're not going to be able to get in for a few days. A few days? What? And so I'm like, what was that? You know, I'm like, am I, am I about to have a heart attack? You know, and so really I'm just like, so, but you should also know I milked this for all it was worth in my home. Hope would be like, hey, can you go do this or whatever? And I'd be like, I have an abnormal heart. I cannot. The kids would be loud and I'd be like, shh, daddy's watching sports. I have an abnormal heart. This is all that makes me feel normal. Everyone quiet. Okay, and uh, so I milked it for everything that it was worth. Finally, I get in, I get into the doctor, and uh, he comes in and he says, well, here's the deal, this, this could be nothing, but we're going to need to do a little more testing on you. Um, and I'm like, okay, whatever. And he said, we're going to do a, uh, a cardiac catheterization. Now, I didn't know what this was at the time. I'm going to explain to you what it was. Some of you know what it, have you had one? Okay. Um, I didn't know what this was. I just said, okay. And he said, then we'll know for sure what's going on. And, and Hope wasn't with me, so no questions were asked, okay? Because <laughs> she's the one that asks questions. I just say, okay, um, do whatever. And, and so I, um, I, I, he says, walk with me. We're going to make your appointment. We go to make the appointment. And, uh, and, and I'm standing there, and I, I decide because I'm thinking, well, I'm just going to come back and show him how fit I am again, and, uh, and, and, and he, uh, the, the, the lady who's taking the appointment, she says, um, you're, you're going to need to come in in a couple of weeks, and, and for your surgery, and I went, whoa, 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 what, she said, it's, it's a surgical procedure that you're having, and I was like, well, well, what happens, and she said, well, while you're awake, they're going to go into your femoral artery, and they're going to fish this tube all the way up through that into your heart and shoot some dye up in there to check out your your arteries to be sure that everything's okay guys you don't understand i nearly pass out when someone takes my blood okay i'm the biggest wimp in the world i literally break out into a cold sweat when they start talking about that and I'm like, what? And she's, I said, I'm going to be awake? She said, you'll have a, a mild sedative, but yes, you'll probably he'll even be talking to you. I'm like, no, you've got to put me under. You don't understand. You've got to put me under. But the worst part about this is that it was two weeks down the road. Now, what we can do today is we can Google the procedures, right? And you can watch the procedures that go on. I would not recommend that. That is what I did and discovered that this is what was going to happen. So therefore, the agony of what was going to happen to me was immense. I was a wreck. I was still milking it for all it was worth because now it was, I'm having a procedure done, you know? I mean, it was rough, 
okay? And so we go in and just, just need to wrap the story up, okay, because I need to get to the Bible. And, uh, <laughs> but, but here, here's what happened. He goes in. I'm, I'm freaking out beforehand. Goes in does the thing he's talking to me before i know it it's over and he's like you've got a great heart your heart's in perfect condition what's wrong with me we don't know and uh which basically that's what happens to me all the time but but i'm all good so i'm in the i'm in recovery room okay i'm in there and hope comes in she's been given the news she comes in well 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 we've got some things to do around the house now don't we I'm like, yes. It was something something like that. Pastor Randy, he comes to see me, and this is what he brings me, okay? A forever lazy. Have you guys seen that? It's one of the, the total footies. It covers your... Now, he brought me an adult medium, okay? I'm going, really? Okay. But uh, this is what he brought me on that day. But all that to say... I was just in agony, anticipating all that was about to happen. I'm telling you, I was in agony. And this compare is comparatively nothing compared to the anticipation and the knowledge that Jesus had of all that was coming. I mean, Jesus did not have the luxury of ignorance. He knew that was what was coming. He knew what we, he was going to experience. He he knew who was going to betray him and who was going to deny him and who was going to desert him. He knew all of these things at this meal. And this, this passage of scripture is just, it's just incredible whenever you think about it. He knew how he was going to die. He knew when he was going to die. He knew all of these things. And, and, and he frequently, throughout the gospels, he frequently, frequently would say, whenever they would try to like, kill him he would say my time has not yet come the hour is not here this is what he would say regularly okay but at this point what we're going to read is he says the time has come he knows he says the time has come i mean i want you to think with me about this when when you knew if you knew that you were going to be betrayed by a friend one of your closest buddies he knew all of these things. How would you be feeling at this last meal? He knew you were going to die the next day. What kind of lasting impression would you give? When we look in John chapter 13, verse 1, this is what the Word of God says, okay? And I'm reading from the NIV this morning. It says, it was just before the Passover feast. Now, I want you to see this. Jesus knew. Jesus knew that the time or the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. This wasn't, he was going to be caught up in a whirlwind. This, this was nothing, this wasn't, the, this was something that was, was, was going to be brutal, that he was going to experience. The time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Or another way that translates is he showed them love to the very end. To the very end. Now, just a word about this, because all of this is significant, and I want you to grasp all this. I want you to get all of this, because all of these things are very significant. The timing is significant. 
It says just at the time of the Passover feast. The Passover feast was an event that, that Jews celebrated God's deliverance. This was the time that they celebrated the deliverance or the salvation that God would bring them. God brought about, as you know, if you read in the book of Exodus, he, he brought about a succession of plagues as, as consequences on Egypt for their sin and for their rebellion and for their enslavement of God's people. And the last of these plagues, if you know anything about Scripture, you know that it was the, the, the death angel that was going to come by and was going to take every firstborn son of every home. And, and it, this was going to be a, a terrible, painful, emotional punishment that, that, uh, that Egypt and all those that were in that land were going to experience. But the way that you were to avoid this kind of tremendously painful punishment would be that if you took the, the sacrificed lamb, a blood of a sacrificed lamb, and you placed this as, as God instructed Moses, and Moses instructed the nation of Israel to place that blood of a lamb over your doorpost, that when that death angel would come through, he would pass over your home. And you were spared. You were shown grace. Instead of getting what was deserved. So all of this, and again, this isn't just, it just so happened that it was at the Passover feast. Guys, you, you need to get this, that there was a reason behind this. There was a, an impression that was being made, a lasting impression that he was driving home. This was all a foreshadowing of the sacrifice that Jesus was going to be going through. The Jews every year celebrate this Passover, but many of them do not realize that it has been fulfilled through Jesus. Many of the Jews did realize this because of the impression that Jesus gave them. Paul tells us, and Paul was a Jew, but Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, don't turn there, but he just says, Christ, and this is what he calls Christ, our Passover lamb, he says, was sacrificed for us. So he's called the Passover lamb. John the Baptist in John, in, in, uh, John 1, 29, as he's there and he sees Jesus walking up to the Jordan River to be baptized, he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the Lamb. And so this meal was significant. This meal, this supper as they were getting together was something that was going to make an impression upon these disciples. And, 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 and you see, folks, if you're covered by the blood of the Lamb, that is, you've placed your faith in Jesus by God's grace, through faith in Christ, you believe in Him for eternal life, you see, you'll be passed over You've received that grace. It's all significant. It's all important here. And, and here's what was going on. This was, this was, John was writing the grand finale here. He's writing and getting to the crux of why Christ came. This was to fulfill all that had been promised. What we'll find is that even in these final stages, even with all of the emotion, even with all the things that were going on, that the lasting impression that Jesus was going to drive home with his apostles, who would also be working miracles, who would very easily, if you think about it with me, could become full of themselves, could, be could become men who thought that they were the ones that were doing these miraculous, powerful things. Jesus was going to leave them with this impression of selflessness, and humility. This is, this is a phenomenal passage. Especially when you're going to see here what he's going to do. Even with full knowledge of the coming desertion, 
they would have in his hour of need and the pride that they were all filled with at that time, he still did this act. It says in verse 2, the evening meal was being served, and I want you to see, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. So I want you to think, okay, put yourself in this room. Think about the context. Think about what's happening. Here you're having a meal with those that you love so much. It's your last night with them. You knew and you have this knowledge and you're anticipating this, this brutal murder that is going to take place. And the guy who's in on the plot is sitting at the table with you. I know most of us would like to go Godfather or Sopranos on him, right? We'd be like, oh, I know. You know I know what you're up to. Uh, you know, uh, but, but very likely, you very likely wouldn't bring him to your place where you're having your last meal, feed him uh, a nice meal, be nice to him, love him, treat him with dignity. You certainly wouldn't want to serve him, but this is exactly what Jesus does. When I, when I really sit and think about this story, it, it blows me away. I mean, guys, this is what we could classify as scandalous humility. Scandalous humility by, by what goes on here. It's, it's scandalous grace. It's scandalous kindness and holiness. When the scripture says that God is holy, what it means is that God is different. God is set apart. That's what holy means. He's set apart from all others. He's otherly. That's what this means. He thinks differently than we do. He acts differently. He governs differently. He's different. That's because he's God and he's holy and he's set apart. That's why we're not God. Now think of the impression that Jesus had taught his disciples. He had taught them. He had spoken the words about loving your enemies. He had said things like that to them whenever he was teaching them. Because you see the law said you loved your neighbor and you hated your enemies. And Jesus is coming, he's saying, what I want you to do is I want you to even love those who do wrong to you. I want you to, to, to speak well of those who, who do evil to, to you. Bless those who curse you. I want you to do these things. You're, you're going to do good to those who hate you. But Jesus wasn't the kind of teacher who was going to just say something and not back it up. He wasn't the kind of teacher that was going to just say, this applies to all of you, but it doesn't apply to me. Jesus was going to lead by example. Jesus is being loving and patient and kind. He's different. He's otherly. He's holy. He's set apart. Some more interesting context about this dinner. If you were to look in one of the synoptic gospels, if you look in the gospel of Luke in chapter 22, you know what you're going to find going on at this dinner? Is that these guys who were there with Jesus were in an argument. And anywhere you find an argument, you're going to find this characteristic is going to be present. You know it, just like I know it. Pride was there. Pridefulness was in the room. And they were fighting, believe it or not, over who among them was the greatest. I imagine Peter was probably like, fellas. I'm the one that got out of the boat when the rest of you were cowering in the boat and I took a few steps on water. Don't forget it. Thaddeus, you don't, won't even have an, a, a book in the Bible named after you. What are you even doing here? Okay, um, Bartholomew, who, who's ever named that? Okay, um, 
you know, and, and, and these guys are just going at it. And Jesus is watching all of this take place. This is the lasting impression they're making upon him. And, and you know, it, it's just pretty, pretty amazing when you think about this story. And, and, and Jesus does something that I don't think that I know that I wouldn't have done, but maybe you wouldn't have done this either. I mean, Jesus was, was just what he does next. He doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't yell at them. He's not like, hey, do you guys realize that I'm about to be going to the cross, you idiots? You know, I mean, he's not anything like this. Instead, what he does is he's going to give them a lesson, an impression of humility. He's told them all along. He's told them things like this, that if you want to be great, you serve. That, that the one that's greatest needs to be the least. If you want to be first, you want to be last. If you're going to be the highest, you need to be the lowest. He's told them all of these kinds of things. And, and, and now he's going to live this out in front of them in a way that will stick with them forever to the very end. That's the reason that I think so many of them, as they saw who he was after the resurrection... They saw how real this was and who he was being fulfilled. They all were willing to give their lives for him because of this impression. This impression of who he was as the son of God and what he was about to do. He said, guys, God's kingdom works completely inverted and antithetical to the principles of this world. Because the principles of this world says says this to us, that if you're going to be the greatest, then you better push everybody down out of the way to get to that spot. If you're going to be respected, then you're going to force respect. If you're going to, if, if you're, you know, if you're going to be powerful, then you're going to have to hurt a lot of people. You're going to have to do this. This is what the world tells us. This is how the world is. I mean, that's a pretty good description of corporate America, right? And this is, this is the way that we, that we live. This is also sometimes how it is in our homes, though, if we're honest. And, and, and as they're having this meal and as they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest and who's going to be best, Jesus gets up and he shows them how to be great. Look at the scripture. He does this by going low. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. I, I think this is a key part of the scripture. He had knowledge of all this. He, he, he knew who he was. This is, this is John's way of saying Jesus' rank is supreme here. He is the highest among all of us. And he's God himself. He, he knew that all things were put under his power. He knew who he was. But this is what he did. So he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist. By the way, that was the clothing of a lowly, the lowliest servant that would be in the house would dress the way that Jesus made himself in appearance like. It says in verse 5, After that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. See, this is one of the classic portraits of humility the humility of, of God, the humility of Jesus. I, I, I can tell you that I, I, if, if the cross was not the, the symbol for Christianity, I really think that, that, the, that the basin and the towel could be close because it's servitude. It's service. 
It's humility. This made such a lasting impression upon the apostles. Even the apostle Paul later on in Philippians chapter 2. As this story was relayed to him. And he heard about this. He wrote this in Philippians 2. This classic text where he says... Don't be selfish. He's trying to teach the Philippians how to behave with each other. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of yourselves as, as, as better than, or, or thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And then he's going to say, he's going to say, don't just do this because I'm telling you, you've been given an example. Look at the example. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, what did he do? He gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. And we see him doing this. And was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death. On a cross. So Jesus takes on this scandalous humility. I mean, he takes it to another dimension, not only just coming and being born as a human, now he's going to wash feet. Even in the midst of arguing, even in the midst of betrayal, he's still going to wash feet. They're sitting at the table. And, and guys, the table that they would have is not like a table where our feet go up underneath. The way that they would have a meal together is they would recline and your feet would be next to the guy uh, who was sitting next to you. It, it, it's, I'm really glad that we have tables where feet are underneath now, okay? And uh, so, so washing of feet was very important. It was not only ceremonial, it was something that needed to be done just for cleanliness, and, uh, and so washing of feet would take place before they would have the meal. We, we tell people, go wash your hands. And they would be like, go wash your feet because that's going to be close to my food. Okay? And, and this was going on. And, and, and guys, I just think about what was happening here. Um, as you think about them at this, at this place where, with, with all these dirty feet in this room, these guys knew that someone needed to do this. We don't know why they were arguing about who was the greatest, but maybe it started, and I don't know this, speculating, maybe it started because someone said, so-and-so, you need to go wash feet. You're the lowest among us. Maybe, maybe they were arguing, I'm the greatest, I'm not doing that, you know. Um, I, I, again, I'm going to have a, a book of the Bible named after me. I'm not doing it. It's not my job. So Jesus is watching all of this unfold, and you have to understand that they didn't have paved roads the way that we do today, except in Oklahoma. Um, what they have, sorry, um, what they have, they've got, uh, they've got these dirt roads, and, and animals would, would walk on the roads with the people, and animals would do what animals do. Okay, do you know what I'm talking about? In the roads, and so these guys are walking, their feet are getting filthy, that's, again, why feet need to be washed. And they're going to be coming in, and, and, and I don't know about you, but feet gross me out. They, they gross me out. There were no pedicures in this time that was going on, okay? We live in the age of showers and fast-acting to actin', right, okay? There was none of this happening. These guys, their feet, they were disgusting. It was gross, you know? And um, this was happening, so... 
you see that this argument is going on. And, and you know what? I think that, that these guys noticed what was happening, but no one was willing to take initiative. You know? Probably smelled like a men's locker room in there is what I kind of was thinking this week. Have any of you ever been in a men's locker room? Okay, I was wondering if any women would raise their hand. We were just, we were just, I was setting you up, okay? I was going to see. I was going to go, what are you doing in there? And, uh, but, but it probably smelled like a men's locker room. Oh, it smells in there, right, guys? It smells. It's like, how, how can it smell so bad? But it does. It smells. And, and they're, they're about to have this meal. And, 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 and by worldly standards, you know, you weren't going to be the greatest among them as they were arguing about this by washing someone else's feet. That's not how you got there. I kind of think of it like this. This may be kind of gross. Well, it is gross, but I'll share it with you because it's, this is a disgusting job. It's kind of like when your dog or your cat throws up in your house, okay? And the rule around our house is if you see it, you clean it up. So have you noticed how we will ignore what we see? I didn't see that, you know? That's why we have kids, okay? And our kids, they get that job now, okay? And, uh, but, or, or it's kind of like this. You, you've, got a, you've got a baby, and the baby cries in the middle of the night, you know? And, and, and the rule was, if you hear the baby, you go get the baby, right? And ladies are going, yeah, right. That's not how that worked. But, but it was amazing how deaf I was during that time. I don't hear anything. But then I could hear a bag of potato chips being opened across the house. It's a miracle, honey. I can hear. Jesus has healed me. So this is what's going on. These guys are all looking at each other like, who's going to do this? And then the unthinkable happens. Jesus gets up. He takes off his robe. He wraps a towel around his waist as the common slave would do. He gets the basin of water, and he begins to wash feet. And I believe, as I'm just thinking about this scenario and thinking about being in the room, I believe the silence probably in that room was deafening. Because these guys are having an impression made upon them that they will never forget. I mean, how could this happen? How could this happen? It's, 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 I think what's most shocking to me is, is that Jesus likely washed the feet of Judas Iscariot with full knowledge of what was going on. The same feet that would walk out of that meal and walk into a conspirator's meeting and that would betray Jesus for slaves' coins. 30 pieces of silver was how much you would pay for a slave. Those same feet would walk back into the Garden of Gethsemane and lead a group of men who would arrest Jesus and brutally beat him. And of course, you know that Judas betrayed him with a kiss. I mean, I, I, I just think about, about the gravity of this. I think about the humility of this. You see where I'm saying this is scandalous humility. This impression is unbelievable. And our God, not in weakness, but in full strength, washes this man's feet, what an impression. What is the lasting impression? What do you take away today? And 
I, I, I don't want to give you like a bunch of points today. I've got one thing for you to write down. One thing, if you get this thing, it will change your life. It will change your family. If you get this thing, this could change what's going on in your marriage. If you capture this today and you begin to live this out, there are all kinds of impressions that, that I could take from this. I mean, that we could write down, but this isn't the point that I want you to get today. We get a, a living example of the heart of Jesus. We get, a, we, we get a, a, an example of the fact that God is holy, right? He's set apart. We see that God is slow to anger, that he's compassion, um, compassionate even for his enemies. He takes initiative. He, he did things without expecting something to be done in return. We get all of this, but what stands out above all else to me in this text is that Jesus is the high one he is the the one whose rank is highest his standing is high and therefore by ordinary standards of the world should be served but instead he reverses it and from his height he goes low and from his high standing he becomes a servant and I mean this this can change everything in your life Pride is a big problem for a lot of us. It, it, it causes problems in relationships. It causes problems in marriages. It causes problems at jobs whenever we don't relate properly. But, but when you can take on this, this the impression of, of being a servant, even if you're in a place of leadership, being a great servant makes a lasting impression. The impression that, that I want you to walk out of here with today is that a follower of Christ is to live out, not just speak about, but live out a heart of humility. That's it. We are called to be humble kind of people. This is, this is what Christ was impressing upon his disciples. He was impressing upon them that, that, that when you are saved, you didn't do this. When you are an apostle and, and, and I do power through you, remember, it's not you. It's, it's God doing this through you. He lives this out in front of us. Think of the impact this must have had on these guys at this time. Jesus had been telling them all along. He'd been telling them the Son of Man did not come to be served. He told them this in Mark 10, 45. But to serve and to give his life away, to give his life as a ransom for many. He'd been telling them this, and now he's backing it up. He is imprinting this on their hearts, and he's saying, this is how I want you to live. This is how I want you to be. You're going to need each other in the coming days, and I want you to serve each other, even if you're the greatest. The greatest is the server. Jesus washes the feet of these men. It says in verse 6, it says, He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? <laughs> I'm thinking if I'm Jesus, I'd be like, you figured that one out, Colombo. Good one, okay? Stating the obvious, I see, okay? But, but I really think that Peter is, is thinking, are you really going to do this? Are you going to wash my feet? If, if you look early on at the relationship that Peter and Jesus had, you'll even see that, that Peter pushed away from Jesus at one point and said, go away from me, I'm a sinful man. Go away from me. Peter knew the depth of what was going and. And, and, and Jesus replied, it says in verse 7, you, you do not realize now what I'm doing. How many of you have experienced that in your relationship with God? We don't get everything that's going on right now. But he said this, but later you will understand. That may be a word for some of you today. 
You don't get what's going on right now, but later you'll understand. You'll get it at some point. And I, again, I could press here for a little bit, but this is, he's saying later on, this is going to make more sense to you. You're not getting the full impression right now. It's later on when you really think about all that was happening at this time and you realize who Judas was and you realize all of these things. They didn't know that Judas was the betrayer yet. And you realize I washed his feet. You realize all these things going on. This is going to be quite an impression. You'll get it later. Peter responds and he says, he says what we so often say to the Lord whenever he says he's going to do something. No. <laughs> he said, you shall never wash my feet. You, sh you shall never do this. Peter, Peter likes to tell Jesus what to do. And there's a few times that he's done this and, and we shouldn't judge Peter because we're so often like him. Right. And, and 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 I know none of us relate to this here, but Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. <laughs> I love Peter. He has to be Irish. He's so loud and boisterous. And and I love this. OK. And but 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 Jesus, what what, what is uh, what Peter is uh, really struggling with, if you think about this with me. He's really struggling with what, what the common denominator that so many of us struggle with, and that is this issue of pride. You see, it takes humility to let someone else serve you sometimes as well. It, it takes humility because, because if we, we let someone else serve us, then, well, then they might have the impression that we're weak and that we need help. We all need help. We all need help. But we don't want to give anybody this impression that we might and and so he's struggling with this. And, and again, I, I, I want to just very quickly just read this passage to you and just explain this to you just very quickly. But it says in verse, in verse uh, 10 here, it says, Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath, and he's responding to Peter's, you know, saying, wash all of me then. <laughs> a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And, and listen to what he's saying. He's saying, Peter, he's saying, and you are clean. He's saying, and you are clean, though not every one of you here. What's going on right here is, is Peter is born again. And he's not saying, he's saying that you're already born again. You, you don't need to be born again over and over and over again. Now, and, and you would relate to this. As a person who's born again, do we still sin from time to time? Yes, we do. What, is, is, what Jesus is alluding to at this point, he says, you're clean, though not every one of you, Judas, okay? That's what he's saying here. Judas did not believe in him as the Messiah. He says, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. But the others had placed their faith in Christ. They had placed their faith in him as the Messiah that could give them eternal life. And he's saying at this point, me just washing your feet, it's thought by some theologians. And I, and I kind of, I think I have a tendency to agree with this, that this speaks of this, this opportunity that we have and need on a regular basis for regular confession and keeping a short account with God. That we don't need to be saved all over again. He saved us. You're clean positionally these guys were right with God, but their feet had become filled with the grime of the world. Okay? Some may say that's a stretch, but, but there's some significance to what's being said here. He's saying you don't need a whole bath. You need your feet washed. And so we should regularly confess. We know the scripture says, we've talked about it the last several weeks. Uh, we talked about First uh, 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 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, but will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That was written to believers. 
That's written to believers. So confession is, is a part of what is thought is happening at this point. Verse 12, it says, When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, and he returned to his place, and then he began to speak to them. He said, Do you understand what I've now done for you? You call me teacher. You call me Lord. He's saying, you, I'm the highest among you. You know what my rank is, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, he says, here's what you got to do in response. You also should wash one another's feet. I have set for you an example. I have made a lasting impression that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, and guess what? You know these things now. You can't claim ignorance now. You know these things. Now that you know these things, what will you be? You will be, everybody say it with me, blessed if you do them. You will be blessed. This word blessed is the word makarios. It means happy. You will be fulfilled in your life when you serve other people. See, but that's not the way we think, and man, we're a depressed society, are we not? Because we're all about what's in it for me, and pushing everybody out of the way, and getting to the top however I can. And Jesus said, you want to be happy in your life? Serve like me. You want to be blessed? Serve like me. So, we end with the first question that we ask. What is the impression? that you are leaving with others. What impression are you imprinting on the, on the heart of your spouse? What impression are you leaving for your children? What will they say about you later on? See, they may not even get it right now, but just like it said, but later on they'll understand. What about with those that you work with? What about with those that you're in a life group with? With those that you go to church with? What about your neighbors? Are you in a prideful standoff with somebody? We've all been there, you know. And I, and I know that that's tough, and I know that it's hard. And, but, but here's the, the deal. As a Christ follower, you're called to imitate Christ. There's no getting around it. Jesus said... Here I am, Lord, rightly so. Here I am, God. Here I am, creator. And I'm going to wash feet. We have no way of getting around it. But what's great is it can change our lives when we really grasp it. Let's pray. Just some closing questions for you to reflect upon. Are you being prideful in some of your relationships? Is there pride there? Is that the imprint that you're leaving is a prideful one? Metaphorically speaking, whose feet is God maybe calling you to wash today, this week, 
this time in your life? Who's speaking? Scripture says, now that you know these things about service, you will be blessed if you do them. You've got to know going in that people might not even respond the way that you want them to respond. Who is it that maybe you would even say is the Judas in the situation? You just put that in God's hands, but you're still called to be a servant. No student is above his master is what Jesus says. What is God calling you to do? What act of kindness is he calling you to follow through on? How can you serve? You see, if you're in a place of leadership, if you are, and, and, and we're all making an impression, you're all leading somebody in one way or another, positively, negatively, you're making an impression. If you're a head of a household, God's calling you as the head to be a servant. As a lead pastor, as a leader within our church, I need to be a servant. Chief servant. No student is above his master. Some of you have never trusted Christ as your Savior. I don't know about you, but this picture of who Jesus is makes me want to serve him. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, this is what this is all about. This is why he came, so that you can have a relationship with a God like this. He came to serve you. He came to love you. He paid for your sin. If you place your faith in him, he will give you eternal life. You might just say something like this to him, Dear God, I believe that you died for me. I'm humbled that you came for me and paid for my sin. In faith, Lord, I receive the gift of eternal life. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me, for forgiving me of my sin. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, as best as I know how, I want to follow you. Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for the truth. I thank you, Lord, for the example. We just bless your name today. You are good. You are holy. God, I thank you for living out what you taught. In Jesus' name, I pray. And all God's people said, amen.